Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode 109. Flying through them, flying through the year. We are. Here we are for our <clears throat> final installment of the uh, the Zach George's War Against Balanced Dog Training part three. Now listen, I know there are some people that are listening to this that are like, Jesus fucking Christ, shut up about it already. And I understand that, and I understand to some people this is kind of boring. A lot of the, the the owner side of things may find this interesting. They may not give a shit about it. Who knows? Listen, um, the, the YouTube views have been kind of through the roof on these videos. I think it's clear that a lot of people care about this conversation, which is why I'm doing this. Additionally, you're going to see today, I literally spent like 20 minutes pulling all of the fucking bullshit videos and stuff yes. that I needed to fuck. <laughs> find so we could actually have like a cohesive um, um, conversation basically about yeah. this because this is the problem this is why I already wanted to do a goddamn podcast in the first place with this guy he, he he wanted to do this back and forth video thing but I literally needed to go to fucking TikTok YouTube Facebook TikTok again <laughs> all back and forth to try to find all of the pieces of this conversation because nobody is going to be able to follow along with all of this no. if you don't do that I was able to follow along with all of it because I kind of cared and wanted to listen to it, was entertained by it. So I spent the time going back and forth. But like, mm -hmm. this is a completely unproductive way of having a conversation. <laughs> it's yes. this, you'll see in a minute here, vlog war format. Or, or he says in here, uh, my challenge to Robert Cabrera and Ivan Balabanov, enough posturing about podcasts, vlog battles are my go to format. Okay. <sighs> like, this is such a pain in the ass to go in and find. All right, so to fill you guys in on everything, if you haven't watched the first two installments of it, first off, just go fucking watch the first two installments Please. of it. Yeah. Spend two and a half hours of your time watching the videos or three hours or whatever it may be, watching those two installments that I already made. So episode uh, 106 and 108, I yep. believe, because we had a guest in between at 107. Watch those. You'll get the context of Zach George initially created his video basically discussing why versus aren't necessary, why balanced dog training is not necessary, et cetera, et cetera. Ivan coincidentally posted like a week later um, a video talking about his side of the science, right, or, or how he interprets the science and why versus are necessary. The timing was like kind of a coincidence as far as it came out very shortly after Zach's. Now, somebody said in the comment section, and I don't I don't know if this is true or false or whatever, that Ivan's been working on that presentation for well before Zach started making these posts, which I could believe. It was very thorough, very well put together, and I can imagine yeah. it took him a lot of time. So I don't necessarily think uh, uh, Ivan Blavinov gives any sort of a singular fuck about Zach George, <laughs> but nonetheless, he made the video because just in general... This conversation has been going on for a very long time, and it's continuously getting more and more heated as we're approaching, you know, potential legislation against tools and the banning of e-collars or prong collars or aversives or, or any of that kind of stuff, where I think it's important we start putting our side of things out there and talking a little bit more publicly and a little bit more openly, and people of the status of Ivan need to continue joining in on that quote-unquote fight, right? Yes. So... Ivan made his video. In the comment section, Zach jumped onto Ivan's video and kind of started, we'll just say, you know, talking a little bit of smack, saying <laughs> Ivan's wrong, this and that, to which Ivan said, 
come on the podcast. Yeah. Let's do it. Because Zach jumped on Ivan's channel, basically all of the balanced dog trainers and Ivan fans and this and that started getting into arguments with Zach. And, and it turned into this like heated comment section exchange, right? Yeah. It was a bunch of bullshit. It wasn't anything productive or anything. It was basically like, well, science says you're wrong. It's like, well, the, the our science says you're wrong. Your science says you're wrong. Blah, yeah. blah, back and forth, right? From there, Robert Cabral, which I don't know that much about Robert Cabral. Um, I've seen a handful of his videos before. I know he's been training dogs for a very long time. He does a lot of sport dog work. I don't think he's like titled or, or really accomplished in the sport dog world mm -hmm. from the standpoint of him or Ivan. But again, I actually don't. I don't know that, right? So I don't know that much about him. But he kind of jumped into the conversation, and he was like, Zach George, I'll give you $1,000 or donate $1,000 to a, a rescue of your choice if you do a podcast with me, to which I also want to let everybody know that you could find in the comment section on the video that we made mm -hmm. about Zach George versus Balanced Dog Trainer. The problem with Balanced Dog Training video he made Last year, mm -hmm. I actually offered him $2,500 to do a podcast with me, and he yeah. turned that down. Also. <laughs> <clears throat> so whatever. But we're going to break down these videos. So yeah. all the comment sections started heating up. Everybody's like, do a podcast with him, do a podcast with him, do a podcast with him, do a podcast with him. And this was Zach George's first formal response video to everybody jumping on his case saying, hey, let's do a podcast together. Yeah. Right? So we're gonna we're gonna start jumping right into this. So right here we got this first video, which was uploaded to TikTok. So much drama right now. This is a video response for Robert Cabral and Ivan Balabanov. Can we have a reset moment here? A de-escalation. Things are naturally very heated. First off, all the ooh, let's have a, a can we de-escalate? All right, I'm, I'm going to tone it back a little bit here because one thing that so so our first video we made talking about his initial video got what you were looking at it was like 200 and some comments or was 100. I don't remember what it was a it's ton. Like it's at like 5000 views or something like that right yeah. now. Like it really did exceptionally well considering the view counts typically we get on our podcast, um, which is cool. And one big thing I think a lot of people were were liking about the video was that. None of this is coming from, like, I hate you or we're trying to drag you through the mud yeah. or make you look like a bad person or anything like that. So even though that pisses me off, I'm going to tone it back a little bit. We'll watch this and we'll just give our honest like hot this, takes. Uh, screenshot. <laughs> yeah, look at that. <laughs> Paige, you better use that. <laughs> On my social media right now. Let me just quickly give you some background from where I'm coming from. This is the statement that triggered everything. This is from the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, and this was a major shift in their position. They used to say, sometimes you need to use aversives after exhausting other efforts. Now they're saying, since 2019, relatively recently, but not really, there is no evidence that aversive training is necessary for dog training or behavior modification. Of course, there are no authorities in science at all, just because Avsab says it doesn't make it true. And the fact of the matter is dozens of international organizations at the highest academic levels that we have are telling us you don't need to use aversives to train dogs. I can understand how that might come as a surprise. Science does that to us sometimes. That's why this conversation about whether or not you should use aversives in dog training is hitting different right now. There's been a major shift in the consensus as we've been going over. If you don't know about it, it's recent, that's okay. So from my perspective, Ivan makes his 
science presentation, I look at it and I'm like, okay, there's some big problems here. I made a post saying, okay, this is what I think is wrong with this video. And things just got so out of hand. I just got swarmed with Ivan's fans and had some great conversations with them, honestly. Most of them were, were fantastic, respectful people. I'm not criticizing anybody's personal character at all as it relates to this. It's only about the ideas. At the end of the day, you have to train your dog how you want to train them. But if you are someone who's advising the public, I'm just asking for a little bit of humility before claiming that your intellect is better than the collective scientific bodies who make recommendations on these issues. What better sources do you have recommending the use of aversives than the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists or the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior? A vast number of association of professional dog trainers around the world have now adopted this standard. And there will be people who say, look, I'm going to train how I want to train, and that's up to you. But when you are telling the public to train in a way that, according to the data that I have, suggests that it is scientifically problematic, I don't understand how you can override things like that so easily and just say, oh, the science is bad. These scientists who have gone to medical school for six, ten years, whatever they do, don't really understand. Medical school. Yeah. They went to medical school. My wife has been in medical school mm -hmm. for a very long time. <laughs> yes. I still think I'm more qualified to teach about training dogs than she is. Yeah. Now, I, I'm, I'm making fun with that right now. Yeah. Right. Like, I understand what he's saying is they went to medical dog behavior, you know, you know, veterinarian dog behavior yeah. school, right? This, that. But again, a big part of their job is still just the veterinarian practices that they had to go through with things. Mm -hmm. Brain chemistry, don't really understand what they're talking about. Don't understand peer review, even though they've spent years learning about it. Bias science. Is it biased science in the grizzly bear world where they have found that positively reinforcing grizzly bears to actually get people to give them shots is less stressful than tranquilizing the grizzly bear, administering a shot while the bear is unconscious. It's not controversial elsewhere is what- He's used that point a couple of times. He made a video the other day about the grizzly bear situation again, and he showed the pictures of it happening. Mm -hmm. And guess what? In the pictures, the <clears throat> bears are still behind cages while the, the trainer is administering <laughs> the blood draw, right? So, so listen, that's wonderful. And I've said this a million times before, right? Like positive reinforcement is so, so powerful yeah. and you can do so much with it. And yeah, over time you absolutely can get those things accomplished that he's talking about, mm -hmm. but there's a reason why they're still doing it behind the safety of those bars is because they still know that if they lose control of that moment, mm -hmm. right? If something they do is just a teeny tiny bit wrong, there is a very high probability that that bear is going to maul you alive. <laughs> and it is not going to be fun. Yeah. So, again, that's great. And I yeah. think that is a good testament to what positive-only training can accomplish. Or I should just yeah. say what positive reinforcement can accomplish when mm -hmm. used properly. But there still clearly is some limitations with it. Oh, yeah we keep trying to tell you and it just doesn't register so i know you guys want me to sit down and do a podcast with you in your sandbox no one's going to demand what i do with my time and how i address this issue that thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way also is like the first off the in your sandbox kind of thing like i think any of these guys would do it in anybody's sandbox oh, right yeah. like we just want to talk about it and like you could film it we could film it yeah you could ask as many questions you know what i mean like like i 
I think any of these guys, I'll speak for myself. I would be happy to have a conversation under anybody's circumstances as long as it was very clear that nobody could edit or like, and when I say edit, I mean like chop things around to make it seem a certain way or cut things that they don't like out of it. Like it's going to be a black and white conversation. Yeah, 100% pure. You could do what you want with it. You could do what you want with it. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the the demand what I do with my time and how yeah. I dress this. Like, don't get so defensive about this, dude. Right? Like, you started this conversation. There are other people that want to have this conversation with you. But now you're using the you can't make me do what I don't want to do card in order to not have the conversation. In yeah. order to kind of seemingly hide from the conversation. Yeah. And, and it's like no one's blatantly attacking him it's, yeah. it's like we just want to talk and talk points you know mm-hmm. right. every single and quite honestly uh, i don't really like the optics <clears throat> of the format because it kind of makes it look like there might be a divide when there <laughs> it makes it seem like there might be a divide yet in the the freaking thing of this we're having a vlog battle yeah Right, like vlog battle, like like battle. Also, very, very, very clearly says we're against each other right now. Yeah, <laughs> and pass that again. This is such a pain in the ass. Like I talked about, me needing to go through and find every single piece of back and forth video to piece yeah. together so we could sit here and watch an app conversation about. Yep, it. isn't. I just want to go straight to the big questions. I'm not interested in having to repeat things that I've said a million times already on my YouTube channel for theater's sake. I'm happy to consider engaging with you guys and seeing what you have to say. I mean, the burden of proof isn't even on me. I'm not making the claim that aversives are necessary. You are, I think. Tell me if I've got that right. I'll I'll address that in a second. Even though I think we've gone above and beyond to show an abundance of science. I'm happy to get the ball rolling here. I have two questions that I would like you to answer. So the other issue with this format that he's you know, kind of getting at as far as the, you know, the back and forth video, like I want to get just to the questions is it's not as simple as I ask a question, you answer the question, right? There is so much nuance to conversation and nuance to understanding, right? Which is really what I know in my case, I'm looking to accomplish out of some of this is I want to have a better understanding of you and I want you to have a better understanding of me, right? And because of that, that format doesn't work because there's going to be things throughout the question that need to be clarified. There's going to be things throughout the answer that need to be questioned and we need to both be able to respectfully do that back and forth, but we cannot do that. It's literally impossible (laughs) to do that in this format. It is not so black and white. There's so much nuance to this conversation, as we'll see as we break down these questions and responses that they wound up doing. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you can ask me a question or two. I'll do at least one round of this. Can you please give me an example? What is a situation where you think using a physical aversion with a choke chain prong collar or electric collar is required? That it cannot be done with positive reinforcement and other methods that really take into account the dog's emotional state and well-being. I'd like you to... I will also, I'll answer these questions at the end because we'll break down these guys' responses and I'll I'll give my response to these as well. Give me an instance of that. Now, that's not including emergencies. We all agree that in an emergency situation, you do whatever it is that you have to do to keep your dog safe. But that wouldn't be an intentional part of our training or behavior modification plan, right? We all agree with that. Secondly, this is my big question and I 
I think it hits pretty hard and I haven't heard a good answer to this. Being that you acknowledge that you are giving advice that is inconsistent with the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, the European Society of Veterinary Clinical Ethology, the British Veterinary Association, right. the Canadian right. Veterinary right. Medical right. Association, RSPCA, right. the American Veterinary Medical right. Association. I've got a list of over two dozen and They're that was without mm -hmm. trying hard. These are all. And we discuss the potential agenda that has to be questioned of if we can't resort to aversives, then we have to back up onto medication when the positive only training doesn't work. Because before mm -hmm. there was the, okay, we'll try the positive only training, right? If that doesn't work, aversives were still on their table as a last, last resort. Mm -hmm. Now the last resort is the medication and everything is People who say there are no known instances where aversions are required. Should the public believe them or you about the use of those tools? Because they can't do both. Are those not fair questions? Are those questions out of bounds? One thing that I can't get past is how you feel so comfortable giving advice that is contrary to these well-respected organizations. Veterinary behaviorists are the people you go to when you have the extreme situation. Your dog is very <laughs> aggressive. Or fears and phobias is another one for dogs who just get overwhelmed emotionally. Veterinary behaviorists have a unique level of education that I don't have, and to my knowledge, no one who's asking me to go on their podcast has. And so in that case, rather than thinking I know better, I'm listening to the credentialed people whose society has tasked with getting to the bottom of this. I mean. You believed them before when they said that aversives were sometimes necessary after exhausting other efforts. Why I'd like to clarify that. I don't think anybody believed them or trusted their judgment before. I think that everybody still questioned the fact that they were so pushed against it. And it was just the fact that there was less that we disagreed with before mm -hmm. when they said that they're still on the table. Yeah. Why don't you believe them now? But I don't think that anybody was like, oh, we're going to take all of their advice now because of that. And now we're not going to take any of their advice. Yeah. Again, nuance to the conversation, right? There's more pieces of this puzzle than you agreed with them. Now you don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. When they've changed. Why is there so... Right. So that's video number one. That's when Zach George said, we're going to have the vlog battles, right? Which is a stupid format. And... I would not have engaged in this format, right? I'm making this video right now for the sake of helping you guys see all of the pieces and giving you guys my take on this, but this video is not intended for Zach George to watch and then respond to, even though I'm sure he'll fucking comment on this one also, like he did the <laughs> other ones. Okay, so that's number one. So we're going to get Mr. Ivan Balabanov out of the way first because he had literally, I think, the best response ever to this video. All right. And Kate and I watched it. We were in the car on the way to El Rodeo, the best Mexican restaurant in the world in Fairview Park for anybody that's interested. And we listened to it. <laughs> plug. And yeah, quick plug for El Rodeo. Shout out to my guys there. <laughs> um, get the birria tacos, secret menu, not or secret uh, item not on the menu. Ooh. Um, so we're going to watch his first because it was so good. And I'm going to delete these as we go. All right. Some ads here. Free live TV made easy without the cords or hassle. YouTube TV. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. If you own a dog, oh, you need to know about Susan, Susan Garrett. Garrett. It doesn't She's matter back. if you think your dog is well-trained. <laughs> I love that. I don't know how YouTube ads work from the standpoint of if you could target specific pages or not. But yeah. I think that is a absolutely fucking genius tactic on her part if she is intentionally targeting these balance trainers yeah, to honestly. put her videos over. <laughs> well, well, I, wanna, I do want to talk about Susan Garrett at some point on this podcast because I do like some of the stuff that Susan Garrett actually puts out. And 
at least from what I've seen, and I'm sure there's some of it still, but it seems like she kind of stays out of some of this drama too, which I can appreciate. Right. Yeah. So we'll break her down at some point on this. Maybe we, maybe she might be the one person we could uh, pay to have on the podcast. Who knows? There we go. We'll see. Probably not. She probably didn't give a shit about us. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this. First off, look at this stern fucking face, hard as nails. He said, yeah. "I can't even believe I need to make this fucking video right now, <laughs> but I'm gonna make it anyways." In front of this literal wall of books about behavior, psychology, foundations of animal behavior. He even has Karen Pryor's Don't Shoot the Dog over here, Training Dogs a Method, Effective Neuroscience, The Neuroscience of Emotion. Like, he literally, you know that he put this up saying, hey, fuck face. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually know a little yeah. bit about this. <laughs> yeah. Ivan does look. I just love it. He just, lo he just <clears throat> looks... Annoyed. Oh, yeah. Annoyed. He said, this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, uh, the, the, the comment, right? YouTube influencer Zach George challenged me to vlog wars. This is my response. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, let me make this quick. This will be my only video response to Zach George since apparently he was the only person that didn't get much from my video presentation. So... Here we go, Zach. The purpose of my presentation is to point out proof that there is no consensus on the positive-only approach, not amongst the trainers, not amongst the scientists. When it comes to dog training, there is no one-size-fits-all approach. I would say, though, that in the majority of scientific community, what I refer to in my presentation is all well accepted. This isn't just some fly-by-night YouTube influencer stuff. The credibility of a study is never ever determined based on its age. One of Zach's big things that he said in the comment section to Ivan's presentation that he made was, well, these studies are all older than the studies that I showed, right? Yeah. But the thing is, like he was saying, the, like just because it's older doesn't mean that it's not credible anymore, right? Yeah. Unless it was actually proven that it was incorrect, like the study was repeated and proven to have different results that would be the only thing that would discredit the actual study that mm -hmm. was given right and the point he's making here is not my science is right and your science is wrong the point he is making is as he just said right there is not a congruent and consistent consensus amongst the scientists yeah. or the trainers. Mm -hmm. the, veteran the veterinarian behaviorists have come to their consensus of what they have interpreted from the science, but they are not the scientists that are doing these studies either. Yeah. Right? They are pulling from the science. Yeah, yeah. And they're in making their interpretation and then putting out their agenda from that. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about in-depth trustworthy studies that actually have substance. You mentioned peer review. Sadly, the lack of peer review is significant issue when evaluating the credibility of the positive reinforcement studies. Simply being cited in follow-up study does not make them legitimate or trustworthy. I also know that my video presentation ruffled your feathers. And this is exactly what it's intended to do. Why I feel comfortable suggesting an, alter an alternative view 
to the American Veteran Society of Animal Behaviorists is also explicitly well explained in my presentation. Which, to clarify that, is because there is no consensus, right? Mm -hmm. And because, as he stated in his presentation, there are potential agendas behind why the veterinarian society is pushing these certain methods, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, which I think is very logical. Yeah. Between you and me, there is no ball to roll. I'm not hiding behind mission statements and propaganda prepared for me by someone else. At this point, I understand that you like to feed the algorithms for YouTube channel, and that's totally fine. I'm sure some influencer will take you up on your silly vlog idea. I'm not about playing the YouTube game, getting likes and subs for advertising dog treats and perpetuating the messages my sponsors write for me. I'm a dog trainer and a teacher and that's it. You feel quite uncomfortable having your statements being challenged in a live discussion with me because I will expose you. There will be no one to prepare you. There will be... The dead face. Yeah. I'll expose you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and with the accent, too. I'll expose you. Yeah. And then the, there will be nobody to prepare you. <laughs> I was like, shit. No advisors or chat GPT. Just <laughs> you and I talking. However, I come to realize you're only trying to plug yourself to be a relevant person in this important conversation, but unfortunately, you're not. I'm soon going to have conversation with those who have the knowledge to discuss, those who are okay to be challenged, those who will challenge me back, and debate with legit knowledge and experience. Have a good one, Zach. Um, now, to everyone else that is watching, I want to thank you for sharing my presentation. It's already making a difference. <laughs> Damn. So Ivan basically just hit him with the fuck you, bro, yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny that he's just like, this is not even worth my time. So here's the thing, right? So what Ivan is saying, right? A couple key points as he was kind of throwing some jabs, yeah. right, that are important in that conversation <clears throat> are one, there is something to be said about when you're only ever going off of information that somebody else is preparing for you, right? Meaning, you said this, I trust you as an organization, so there is absolutely going to be zero questioning of it ever, and I am going to essentially just regurgitate that information back down and just basically say it in my own words, right? Mm -hmm. Now listen, obviously there are people that are more intelligent than me, right? Ivan is a way fucking better dog trainer than I ever probably will be and a smarter guy as far as this stuff is concerned than I probably ever will be in this side of things. But even as I watch his videos, I try my best to ask myself the question as I'm reading it, does this make sense, right? Are there things that need to be questioned as far as this conversation is concerned, right? And as far as this presentation is concerned, I don't really think there was much at all that I formally disagreed with. Um, but there are plenty of dog trainers that I highly respect and I have taken things from, from the standpoint of been influenced by or learned methods from or whatever, mm -hmm. that there are other things that they do that I'm like, eh, I don't fully agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have a differing opinion or, or whatever. And I think that's normal and I think that's okay. And I think that from Zach's point of things, right? 
you could agree with what the veterinarian society is telling you, right? And you could think that they're more qualified to have this conversation or whatever it may be, but you could also ask critical questions as far as, hey, are some of these questions people are asking or criticizing about it, are any of them actually valid? Are there follow-up questions to be had? If I was in a position where somebody was, you know, we get comments all the time about things, some from people that like us, some that people that don't like us, some that people are trolling us, this and that, and I really try to engage with everybody from the standpoint of asking not just how do I defend my position further, but is there anything that's valid or accurate behind these points? And I've done that when we watched that first Zach George video where there was plenty of stuff that I was like, you are right about this, right? I yep. do agree with you about this. I do think we could be better as far as this is concerned, but there's, again, some more nuance to the conversation that needs to be had, right? So I think yeah. that's one important conversation that needs to be had or question that needs to be asked, right? <clears throat> and then the second one is if I really do say there's nothing else that I need to, to have questioned about this, mm -hmm. right? Like it's it's totally accurate. I believe it to its fullest, Sitting down and having the conversation with somebody that's going to challenge you on those opinions, that's something I thrive for, right? I like being challenged as far as my opinions are concerned. I like when I have a client that comes in that asks, you know, why are you doing it that way? Why yeah. wouldn't you do it this way? Because it helps me to either find out if there are holes in my statements, right? Find out if I know as much about it as I think I do, because if I do, I can have that conversation and mm -hmm. I could, you know, basically completely argue any point that might come my way yeah. right or to force yourself to then kind of challenge yourself conversationally a little bit more right and i i think that that is a, i think that's an extremely important thing um to be done in this world and you could tell people like ivan like he said like i'm gonna have conversations soon and he's referring to he's done a couple podcasts since uh with different scientists right mm -hmm. of people that are probably smarter than him in certain areas that he's able to challenge back and forth and just yeah. dig deeper into it to expand his knowledge right mm -hmm. the whole point of this is not to win the whole point of this is to make yourself more intelligent and more understanding of stuff yep so whatever so ivan basically said fuck you i'm not engaging in this in a very funny way. Robert Cabral here. Again, I don't know that much about this guy, so I don't want to talk like, oh, he has these credentials or this or that, but he kind of jumped right on the train, right? Okay. He was kind of trying to get some of the hype around this, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think a part of it, he is a YouTuber as well, right? Robert mm -hmm. Cabral, you know, quarter million subscribers. He does pretty well for himself as far as the social media side of things goes. He has a pretty good following. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to talk much about his training. I'm going to talk about his response and my problems that I have with it, because I think that he really shot himself in the foot a couple of times with this response and highlights a lot of my issues with the balance training community and why Zach George can basically railroad some of these guys. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here's my video response to Zach George's video response to my video, which was a response to a question that was posted on Zach's um, page, which I actually answered. He said, "No, I remember said no judgment. Do you feel the use of um, such things as e-collars and prong collars is important?" And I answered it honestly because of being a trainer, I thought that would be a great dialogue to start. I wanted a sit-down chat because I thought that would be a really good way to discuss things, and I had no in ill intentions. Obviously, I just wanted to chat with Zach, and I sent him a really nice message. Um, so, Zach, I have no problem. A lot of branding. Four logos on the screen right now. See that? Oh, yeah. The hat, the shirt, the one in the corner, the one on the wall. Let's Pushing go. it. I'll, let's go. You know? <laughs> With you at all. Um, on a personal level, I will tell you where my 
conflicts are, and I'll get into all that, but um, I wanted to chat. Now you, you want to vlog war, but I guess I'm not taking it as a real war. I'm taking it that that's a term that maybe I don't understand. So um, I'll do my best to do this. I don't think this discussion should have a winner or a loser. What I'd really like to do is see the dog training community come together. They kidnapped my daughter. We served together. Saved my life. I can help. I'll take care of it. You're looking to get into a war with a gang. I'm not an evil man. I just want my daughter back. Damn it! Don't do it! <laughs> Organized crime. Comfort. It all starts with Snuggle. This podcast brought So, first of all, what I want to touch on is this idea of the e collar, the prong collar, the um, slip lead, or anything like that being solely an aversive tool. Ooh, and right off the rip, he starts with the worst possible argument <laughs> that you could ever throw at a force free trainer, which yeah. is, well, these aren't aversive tools, or they're not always aversive guys come on <laughs> let's stop pandering to the force free community and uh, i asked even blake about it i was like is he called he's like he calls a fucking aversive tool right like yeah. I, I think we all know deep inside of our brain that the e-collar is an aversive tool now when he says always used as an aversive tool let me tell you what he's referring to one of two things. One would be an accurate representation of what he just said. Mm. The other would be a fake representation of what he said, right? So what a lot of people mean when they say it's not an aversive tool is they mean that it's not used solely as a punishment tool, which could be accurate, right? Again, as we're using aversives, we could use an aversive as positive punishment or negative reinforcement. Mm. Positive punishment is what most people think of when they think of the big correction for something. Mm. Negative reinforcement is a reinforcement. So it increases behavior, but it's still using an aversive, right? Mm -hmm. It is still aversive to the dog, which is why the dog wants to escape it by doing something. Mm -hmm. Again, I've used the example. If I want to teach a dog to get onto a bed, or let's say teach a dog to come to me for off-leash reliability, which is what a lot of people use the car for, right? Mm -hmm. I could engage stimulation. When the dog turns to come to me, I can turn off stimulation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always need to be at a very high level. Sometimes it could be at a fairly low level, but it's still working because the dog is averse by it. Yep. Right. <clears throat> so that's what a lot of people, when they say that, mean, right? Is we use it for negative reinforcement. We don't use it for positive punishment, or we use it primarily for negative reinforcement, not positive punishment. Which, again, if we're using it as negative reinforcement, that is a little bit more quote unquote fair to the dog in the teaching stages because we're increasing behavior. We're using it to make the dog want to do something more, um, even though they're do wanting to do it more by avoiding something, whatever. The second thing that they mean, so so that would be the example of when he said it's not always an aversive tool, that would be incorrect still. It's still an aversive tool in that setting. When they say that it's not always an aversive tool, the accurate thing would be they're using the e-collar as a signal, right? Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that, right? I could take an e-collar sensation that you feel, but you are not averse by, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning you're not motivated by it independently to do anything. You don't yep. want to escape it. You don't want to avoid it, right? And I could pair that neutral sensation that you're not averse by with something positive, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning I apply neutral stimulation, and then I give you a treat. I apply neutral sensation, and I give you a treat, mm -hmm. right? So... You're using the e-collar like a command. You're mm -hmm. using it like I say sit. You're using it like I say yes. You're using it like I give a hand command. Whatever, mm -hmm. right? 
To which then the force-free argument to that is if it's a neutral sensation and the dog is not independently motivated by it, why even use it? Why would I even need to use an e-collar if it in itself is not aversive? I could use anything in the world. You could use a vibrate-only collar then at that point, right? Mm -hmm. You could use a collar that literally only makes a noise if you're concerned about being able to communicate from a distance with your dog, which is what a lot of people say. But you would want to make sure that tool can never be aversive to the dog then at that point. Right. And again, Ivan has talked about this before in a podcast episode that he did with Larry Crone arguing basically the same thing where Larry was trying to say the e-collar is not an aversive tool. The e-collar is not an aversive tool where Ivan said, if you're using it in the fashion he's discussing, which is you're creating a positive association with that sensation, if you then later need to use it as an aversive, meaning I need to get you to want to avoid this thing Mm. because I've conditioned a positive association with that sensation, it causes me to need to use an even more aversive sensation than I otherwise would have needed because the dog likes it, right? Mm. Yeah, They're not as inclined to want to avoid it, where if I've never used it in the signal fashion where I'm pairing it with positive reinforcement and making the dog essentially like the sensation, Mm -hmm. the dog inherently will always see it as an aversive and will want to avoid it, meaning I could use a lower level. And there was studies that Ivan brought up basically utilizing uh, mice and cheese. So basically what they did is they had a mouse go to get some cheese, and they had, I think, like an electrified platform that the mouse would get onto right Mm. to get the cheese and when paired that electric sensation with the cheese repeatedly when they tried to get the dog to then avoid the cheese they wound up needing to use a substantially higher level to get them to stop than a mouse that they never used the low sensation paired with the cheese they just went right away to a slightly higher one Mm -hmm. to get the dog to avoid it mouse mouse that was a mouse yeah yeah so did I say dog? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so whatever. So so right off the rip, one minute and eleven seconds into it, very bad argument to start. <laughs> and you'll see where he further shoots himself in the foot here. Oh, great. I don't see it as that. I see it can be used as such, but I see that anything, including your hand, voice, body pressure, anything, can be used as an aversive. The tools can be used in other ways. It can be used just like a a harness or a martingale collar. It can be used to communicate with the dog in a way that... Communicate is another word that's thrown around all the time. We're like, let's... I understand when you're talking to a client, if you want to use phrases like that to help them understand things more clearly, it's fine. But if you're trying to argue the point of something, Mm -hmm. communicate is very... Like, what does communicate mean? Right Again, because in order for us to communicate with a dog, the dog has to understand what we're asking of them and want to either accomplish something or want to avoid something. Yeah. And when used properly, can be highly effective and highly humane and fair to the dog. As I think you and I would both agree, Zach, there is a time where anything can be used abusively. And I will start out this entire conversation by saying that anyone who uses a tool aversively, whether it is an e-collar, a prong collar, a harness, a slip lead, their hands, their voice, um, you know, something to whack a dog, anything that is used inhumanely, I'm against. One. Well, you weren't kidding. What did he say? Did you? Um, I just want to know if you picked up on what I picked up on there. What did he just say? He said that all any tool that is aversive. Right, so he's saying that they're all bad. 
technically, right? So, so kind of, right? Okay. So what he literally just said yeah. verbatim. This is no taking anything out of context. Uh-huh. Is let's play it again. Yeah. So you can hear saying that anyone who uses a tool aversively, what? Anyone who uses a tool aversively, <laughs> he is against. <sighs> bro. <laughs> you better stop training then, brother. <laughs> you're, you are using tools aversively. I promise you, you're using tools aversively, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Right. And then the other less funny not even, it's not even funny. It's it's actually sad, right? Because this whole thing, he's he's pandering right now. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's just trying so hard to come across like I'm the nice, balanced dog trainer, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the nice. I'm not doing all the things that you're saying I'm doing, but you are. Yeah, you are, and you're feeding yourself this delusion that you're not, and it's making everybody else seem bad. Because then you're going to get all these fucking followers. This is what this is what happens, and this is my again my problem with Larry Crown. My problem with with this guy and stuff is they feed that yeah. of if you're using it aversively, you're abusive, you're an asshole, this that, while still doing it, which then teaches people to see anybody using the e collar as a correction and say, well, Roberts and. Uh, Larry and all these other guys say that this is wrong, even though they're actually doing it. So, so I don't, I don't like you. I'm against you. Right? Yeah. It creates more divide. Yeah. So the other thing that he said is any tool can be used as an aversive. A treat pouch can be used as an aversive. You know, a stick, your hand, yeah. this, that. The the difference is, and this is what Zach says, right? And he said initially all along is these tools were designed to be aversive, right? Mm-hmm. They're not designed to be something else, and then you're using it as an aversive. They're designed to be aversives, Yeah. right? So we can't, that is a poor argument to start on. It is an e-collar, a prong collar, a harness, a slip lead, their hands, their voice, um, you know, something to whack a dog. Anything that is used inhumanely, I'm against. 100%. And he's using inconsistent words, right? First he said used aversively, then he said used inhumanely. So are you saying using something aversively is inhumane? I don't know. Against it. Now you're citing veterinary behaviors are the go-to professionals when it comes to dog training, but they're not. Now, veterinary behavior should be consulted in a situation where a dog needs medical veterinary care. It was my veterinarian who convinced me to become a dog trainer because I was helping more dogs through rescue than... Now, I will say again, to Zach's fairness with things, there is a difference between a vet and a veterinarian behaviorist. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm I'm no expert on it by any means, but I do think a veterinarian behaviorist is getting a much higher level of education as far as animal behavior and understanding some of the cognition side of things and the neuroscience and all of those things than your average vet is going to be getting. Mm-hmm. She had seen, so she encouraged me into this field. And she's a very, very good veterinarian, very, very well-known, Dr. Lisa. Many of my clients have been veterinarians, and many, many of my clients have been referred by veterinarians. One point you brought up in your video was that when a person decides to use a specific tool to train their dog, that is their right. But as a trainer, when I tell people how to use a tool or tell them to use a tool such as an e-collar, which again, I don't want to use the term aversive, I want to use the term a tool because a harness... I'm not leaving without these diamonds. Diamonds? I'm just here for the stains with Persil Pro Clean. 
Boom. It's more than clean. It's Brazil ProClean. Almond Breeze Extra Creamy Almond Milk tastes creamy like dairy milk with 50% more calcium. Anything All else right, guys. I promise I'm going to get the ad blocker. I promise <laughs> by the next couple episodes I will have it. But First, as well, like I say, stop, your body pressure, stop. your hands, or anything like that. In my position, with my experience, I will show a client the best way that I see to resolve the problem. Now, if you look at my videos online or you look at anything I've done in shelter work, I came to great conclusions, great results with dogs through a very fair method of training. Now, everything I do with a dog, I'm going to repeat that, everything I do with a dog starts with a treat and a toy. I believe in starting everything with positive interaction, luring and shaping rewards. It's my responsibility as a trainer to give the client every avenue. One of your comments was, how can I put myself above doctors who go to school to learn brain science? And I'm in no way doing that. What I'm doing is I'm helping dogs understand training. In other words, a skill set. Let me give you an example. If I look at all the top trained dogs in the world, whether they're military dogs, performance dogs, uh, police dogs, uh, sport dogs, obedience dogs, anything. None of those dogs were trained by a veterinary behaviorist. They were trained by a dog trainer. So when we want a dog to do things, we don't necessarily need to consult a veterinary behaviorist. We need to consult a dog trainer who is skilled in those behaviors. A veterinary behaviorist probably would be way outside of their comfort zone in trying to teach a dog a competitive obedience routine. So I want to reiterate that that a veterinary behaviorist has an extremely high skill set in dealing with veterinary medicine, but they're not skilled in basic dog training or problem solving. You also cited a study about grizzly bears where they were um, taught through positive association to get injections or draw blood. I looked up the study online and I think that's a great thing. But again, we're talking about four captive grizzly bears. One thing I was really against was any animal experimenting. I don't like animal experimenting. So whenever I hear studies that use dogs in this way of, you know, checking their cortisol levels by stimming them, putting, using shock collars on them, and then checking their levels, we already know that a negative association with any tool, irrespective of what that tool is, is cruel and inhumane to do to a dog. We also already know that when a dog is exposed to stress, he will stress out his cortisol. The other thing about this argument is he's saying your grizzly bear response or this or that aren't valid because I don't like animal testing. That's kind of a crap argument also, yeah. because just because you don't like, that's the same thing you're trying to say to him. Just because you don't like what I'm doing yeah. doesn't mean that it the results aren't there. You know what I mean? Like they proved the grizzly bear was able to get its blood drawn. Yeah. The counter to that was what I said a little bit ago, which is per that experiment they ran, per that procedure they ran, where are the flaws with it? And let's outline those. Yeah. Not just, I don't like it. <laughs> will come up. I believe cruelty is cruelty. I don't need a science experiment to tell me something is cruel. On your comment where you said you're not making the claim that aversives are necessary, and on the other side, I've never seen you show clearly how solely rewards can work in a difficult behavior situation. For example, a dog pulling to the street. If merely the reward would work, then you wouldn't need a harness and a leash on a dog. There's an aversive, whether a dog is pulling on that harness hard and you're standing behind the dog trying to keep the dog from pulling into the street, 
or you're using an e-collar. They're both aversives. It's just the choice of the tool that we're talking about. So I'm not criticizing your way of training, and that's why I really appreciate when people don't criticize another way of training. As long as the training is not cruel to the dog and solves the problem in an effective manner. Okay, so here's the question you posed to me. You said, give me an example of a situation where you think using a physical aversion, prong, choke, or e-collar, is required where it cannot be done with positive reinforcement. And the, the example I'd like to cite is f the first one, or a very easy one, is a dog who chases cars. You had a video on it, and you showed the use of a harness and a leash. Now, a harness and a leash is still an aversive, per se, because it's preventing the dog from being able to do what the dog wants to do, which is chase that car. Now, you're taking a very strong step and preventing the dog from pulling to the street, and you're using a harness to, with, to keep the dog back. I would probably use a line as well, a long line and a collar and perhaps an e-collar or a prong collar. I would want to make that potential danger uncomfortable for the dog. See, he's he's also again, this is this is a crap answer to the question because it's not it's it's the question is a trap in itself, right? And this is why answering this question cannot be done via this vlog or format. It would have to be done via a conversation because to answer Zach's question, give me an example of a situation where it is physically impossible to solve the problem without the use of an aversive. There is none, mm. right? This is where, again, I would agree. I believe that it is possible to get a dog to stop chasing cars solely with the use of food, but, but you have to be able to control the environment completely. You have to ensure you have something that is going to be of a higher value to the dog than the car, and you have to make sure that your management techniques as you're working towards that are something that you could sustain forever and ever and ever mm -hmm. as you're working towards the goal because the timeline on how long it's going to take is to be determined, right? Yeah. So it's not impossible, but that further gets to then, okay, we, we've confirmed, sure, maybe it's possible to do it, right? Now, which one would be more effective per the goals of the client and the mental well-being of the dog, right? Mm -hmm. So chasing dogs or chasing cars, for example, right? I think that with a force-free approach, if I have a dog that chases cars, right? I don't know if I can guarantee I'm always going to have a higher value resource, right? I don't necessarily, for me, myself, like to, to, to know that if I don't have this leash on my dog, there's a very high probability that the dog will try to chase it. And if the dog slips out of the house or gets through a gate or my management fails, I don't have a backup contingency plan in place for how I can punish the dog for that behavior to make it more likely that it's or less likely that it's actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and two, the timeline on even if I could guarantee those things were going to work, if that takes me a year to accomplish and get really reliable with my dog, mm -hmm. I don't want to have to wait a year of having really, really crappy walks with my dog or limiting their freedom or feeling concerned that they might get hit by a car if my management fails. As I'm working through this problem, I would rather stop it very, very quickly. And we know that a punishment can suppress or stop that behavior very rapidly, yeah. right? And I know any potential fallout I get of the dog 
dog being potentially stressed about cars or, or having a healthy dose of fear of the car, I know is not very problematic in the long run. And two, as the dog realizes that I don't chase cars, I don't get corrected, that stress will gradually come down very rapidly as well, meaning the long-term welfare of the dog is yeah. not a problem. Yeah. So again, the conversation is just getting into the conversation of the effectiveness and the efficiency of the methods we're using, not is it impossible. That's a shit argument. Exactly. And can I say real quick that because of those first like two minutes of this video, like all this seems so hypocritical of what he's saying, Mm -hmm. you know, like he literally has no ground to stand on because of his first remarks. Mm -hmm. Just say it. (laughs) But less uncomfortable than being hit by the car. Now, I would strive to solve that in the most efficient, quick manner possible. Some people will do things like back the dog up and take, you know, several weeks or or more to, to train that behavior. They'll start at a great distance. They'll start rewarding, rewarding. I cannot risk in good conscience that I work today on starting to build a little bit of relationship, but I didn't solve the problem. And perhaps the next day, that dog gets out of the house and runs and chases a car and gets killed. I would try to solve that problem as quickly as possible. I will use an aversive, what you call an aversive, to refocus the dog back to me, back to my position, and by using an e-collar or a prong collar. I would make the experience of chasing that car slightly less negative and hopefully quite a bit less negative than catching up to that car and getting hit by a car. And I would do that through... Even how he said that, I would make the experience of the car or chasing the car slightly less negative than getting hit by it. Well, we know that getting hit by a car would fucking suck yeah (laughs) that would be crazy aversive yeah i don't want to get hit by a car so if we're saying slightly less negative you are going to make the act of chasing the car very aversive still yeah (laughs) but how he said it right it's like it's it's nice still i'm trying to come across as nice even though yo i'm gonna make this dog really not like chasing cars yeah Training through positive association to me and then exposing the dog to the stimulus. Remember, when you cannot... And this is the thing, right? Like, if me, myself, can rip apart this argument, right? As a balanced trainer, as somebody that probably, if I watched this guy train dogs, would have absolutely zero issue with how he's doing anything. Mm. But the argument he's trying to make to prove his point is so, like, illogical. What do you think the other side is able to do with it? You know? Control the stimulus the positive reinforcement won't work. Positive reinforcement is a great methodology of training. I have no problem with it. I use it in 90 plus percent of all my dog training. But when I can't control the stimulus, whether that's a dog running by a dog, running up to a dog, a dog that might have aggression, or a dog chasing squirrels, a dog chasing cars, as the topic I'm on, I would use the aversive. So that's hopefully the answer to your to your first question. Now, I know your stipulation was except for emergencies, but the, the issue is when I'm training a dog for something potentially dangerous as chasing cars, I can use positive association. And if that does not work, if the positive association does not work, I need to take it to the next level. I need to be able to teach the dog the value in listening to me and the consequence of not listening to me. 
because the consequence of this dog not listening to me in an uncontrolled manner will mean that dog's death. Now, in training, that situation is controlled by the use of a line, but the quicker the dog learns the lesson, the more effective the lesson is and the safer the dog can be. Now, what he's trying to say there, which I do agree with him with this point, is that, and I'm going to say it a lot more clearly than he said it, I think, is... (laughs) I understand that you're saying aside from emergency situations, but we train for emergency situations, meaning I'm going to train and put in place the protocols that I may need to use in an emergency situation, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, as a part of my regular training program, maybe if I were following Zach's advice, I wouldn't need to use an aversive and I could use a line and counter condition the dog to the the car and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the emergency situation, when my dog slips out the gate and I don't have the leash on them, I don't have treats ready, et cetera, et cetera. I need to know that I have something in place that's going to help me in that emergency situation, which in my case, the way that I train is having a really, really well conditioned in no marker that is typically preceded by a correction so that yeah. that word in itself, if I ran into that emergency situation, I could say no. And because that strong aversive association is behind that word, that dog is going to freeze in their tracks, hopefully, right, mm-hmm. in that emergency and not continue to chase the car and potentially get hit. Yep. Question number two. I am giving advice that is inconsistent with Avseb. Should the public believe them or me in the use of tools? In, in Avsab's statement that the use of corrections was okay in extreme cases, but now they feel it's not okay. Um, and Zach, you asked me if I'm okay going against that, and I actually am okay with that because I don't base my training on a current study. I'm really, in a way, against animal studies or animal testing. I, I don't like it at all. I don't like the idea of putting an animal, in particular in these cases a dog, in a situation and using an e-collar improperly. Um, to raise the cortisol levels to show that the dog is stressed, which happens in many of these studies. I follow the most fair way to teach a dog a particular skill that I want to do. Now, in this conversation, I want to really stress that you cited many studies that showed your side of the equation. I've seen videos showing other studies that support my side of the equation. Now, again, in science... That is the way science works. Science is constantly debating itself to try to find a better solution. Remember, an e-collar is the most advanced tool we have besides our mind when it comes to dog training. The e-collar allows me to communicate with my dog like no other tool at a distance of up to three quarters of a mile. That communication is critical when it's based and built upon a positive relationship with the person. Agree 100%. When it's not based on that, when it's based on cruelty and just shocking a dog, it's inhumane and cruel. But so is an easy walk harness, a head halty, a a regular harness, a leash, a flat collar, or anything else. Let's get away from the situation where we're accusing people of being cruel just because they're doing something different than us. That's really what I'd like to focus on. We may differ in our approach to things, but I think our outcome. Our end goal is the same, and that is what's best for the dog. So, again, I really don't like that argument, right? Again, I'm sure Robert is a very intelligent guy and probably a very, very good dog trainer, right? But the way he just tried to debate Zach was just 
extremely Ooh. flawed. Extremely bad. flawed. I remember watching it just kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> even the last argument of like, why would I... Do I feel comfortable going against the, the community? Like, he didn't yeah. even really answer the question. No. He just continued to pander around it, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, that was... Not a- into it. Yeah. Yeah, his reason for being okay with going against them is because I don't like animal testing, right? Well, dog training in general... We're kind of doing animal testing, if you really think about yeah. it. We're animal testing and training for the real world. We're we're testing what methods are going to be good with this dog or not good with this dog or the way that we're going to implement them and this and that. It's a bad argument. Yeah. It's just a bad argument, yeah. right? And we should be solely going off of the fact of, again, I'm okay with going against it because I have dog training facilities that, one, there's a very, very popular veterinarian behaviorist that's right around the corner from my house here that I get dogs from all the time that I hear about what they've done, what they haven't done, how willy-nilly they prescribe medications. Back when we were in Columbus, I would see dogs from OSU's behavioral vet clinic all the time, which is a very, very popular one in the country. And I would hear their experiences from it. I've seen paperwork and documents and stuff that were given to the owner. I know that these people very, very rarely actually put their hands on the dogs. They just diagnose the dog and then prescribe medication from my experience, right? And I've yet to see any, um, and and I'm sure it's out there, right? But I've yet to see any veterinarian behaviorists that really show their process of working through the dogs with the training and all that as well, right? So that is why I'm okay with going against it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, those first couple minutes, he he gave them all the ammo to dismiss his entire video. Uh, Yeah. So so then... (laughs) Zach George commented uh, and said, listen, I'm only going to go back and forth one time. You've got to ask me a question now. So uh, he made one more video here uh, with his uh, with his question back. And this is on Facebook. And this is why this is a pain in the ass to go back and forth, figure oh, out all this fucking information. Yeah. Oh, hold on. What were you going to say? No, I, I was just... Okay, so this is part two with me and Zach George where I get to ask Zach a question. Zach... If you were training a dog and the dog had an issue such as chasing cars and you worked uh, your techniques and your training over and over with the dog and you saw the dog was not taking to that training. In other words, the problem was just not being solved. The dog was not getting it. But you happen to know that there's another trainer who effectively and humanely uses a tool such as an e-collar. Would you refer that dog to that trainer to solve the problem or would you not let the problem get solved. In other words, you've exhausted your possibilities and someone else might be able to do it or has done it successfully. Would you refer that dog to that trainer or not? I guess the, the, the overriding question here is what's more important in your mind, the science or the, or the overall welfare of the dog? And just so I don't have to go back and forth on it, to me, the overall welfare of the dog overall comes first over anything. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. That's a shit question, too, and I'll explain why that's a shit question, right? Mm -hmm. First off, if your training methodology won't work, right, they have created this argument around that question forever, right? Because everybody always says, like, your way doesn't work, my way works, this and that, to which their argument is, if I'm using proper management techniques, meaning I'm only having the dog on leash until they're reliable enough around that car, then the timeline is the only thing that's in question. It's not mm-hmm. will their method work or will it not work. It's just how long will it take. And to to if I were Zach, I would answer that simply of like, 
it will work, right? Mm-hmm. The, the science shows that it will work. Yep. I just need to continue working at a further distance until the dog is more reliable. If my methodology is failing, it means I'm moving too quickly with the dog is mm-hmm. their argument to that question. And then the, do you believe more in your science or the overall welfare of the dog? Well, their point all along has been the use of aversive has side effects that hurt the welfare of the dog. So even if I can get the dog to stop chasing the car by giving them a correction for it and using a slightly less aversive than getting hit by the car, yeah. right, right um, that that is going to have side effects of now maybe the dog isn't chasing cars and can be off leash around them, but they're going to show higher signs of fear and higher signs of stress. And there's a higher mm-hmm. possibility that they start becoming aggressive and this and that mm-hmm. to... His whole argument he's trying to make with this is, well, my dog can be off leash around cars and yours can't, right? Which is, again, kind of a bad argument because they would have all of those counterpoints to it, right? Yep. So then Zach made his kind of final. I mean, he's done some videos since, but this is really the last official um, response to it where I'll tell you, when I watch this, I think Zach kind of railroaded Robert Cabral in this. I think he kind of smashed him. Right. Because, again, you could just pick that whole argument apart. Oh, yeah. Everything that he made. Right. Yep. All 12 minutes of that is just so easily disputable, I think. And Ivan did it the right way. He knew this was a trap. He oh, knew yeah. those questions were fucking bullshit. And he yep. knew Zach George was only trying to put them into a trap, not trying to actually have a conversation about it. So he was like, yeah. I'm not even falling for this. Yep. So let's watch this one. Going to respond to Robert Cabral. I know the use of these training techniques is a very passionate emotional topic for a lot of us. And I also know that inner change comes when one is ready to have that change. I can't strong arm anyone, nor do I want to strong arm anyone into accepting something. To sum this whole thing up, I have been pointing out how those who use deliberate aversions and advise the public to use these methods, choke chains, prong collars, and electric collars, all of which are engineered to be aversive to dogs, are scientifically problematic. And the evidence shows that it is completely unnecessary to use these tools in any known instance of behavior modification or dog training. And I've shown that literally every animal behavior organization on planet Earth that I'm aware of supports the hypothesis I just proposed to you. Me simply saying that is what has ignited all of this. Robert is simply echoing what he's learned. You mentioned, look, anything can be aversive. A leash, a collar can be aversive. A harness can be aversive. <laughs> I could smack a dog with a bag of treats and that would be aversive. But that really distracts from the argument. The key difference is that choke chains, electric collars, and prong collars are engineered to be aversive. As I've been listening to the responses of this, the vast majority of balanced and compulsion trainers agree that these tools work in that manner. You also mentioned the point, Robert, that veterinary behaviorists are only concerned with medicating dogs or medication or medical care of dogs, and this is just factually inaccurate. While veterinary behaviorists definitely does consider the use of medicine, they absolutely implement behavior modification techniques. They focus on modifying the environment. They gather history, they make observations, they come up with a treatment plan based on a variety of factors because dog training is so nuanced. Veterinary behaviorists and proper behaviorists who actually have the education, not some dog trainer calling themselves a behaviorist, not saying you do that, but many do, are well-versed in a variety of techniques that don't involve punishing a dog. Perhaps we could have any credentialed behaviorists or veterinary behaviorists chime in on this somewhere. I'd be happy to share a video on social that explains the role of a behaviorist and a veterinary behaviorist. No individual possesses more knowledge than that of the entire scientific community collectively. You then point out that 
hey, I don't see how you've ever demonstrated that just using a reward will solve any dog training problem. If a dog is pulling towards the street, for example. This represents a common misconception. Positive reinforcement dog training isn't just about giving your dog treats or a toy when they do something you like. It's an overarching strategy that considers the dog's emotional state, their well-being, and overall experience. So one of the reasons that electric collars are out of bounds for us are because they aren't engineered to be unpleasant and painful to dogs. So your question to me was, all right, Zach, how are you going to keep a dog from getting hit by a car by using... By keeping the dog on a leash? I mean, yeah. that's such a bad question. It was so bad. <laughs> Positive reinforcement dog training. This really exposes the heart of the matter. You say, which is something we tell our clients also, right? To to Zach's fairness here is like, like, like some people just expect like I should just be able to do anything with my dog and never have to manage anything. Like management plays a big role in this, and you could realistically solve like like people say, how do I get my dog to not bite people? It's like, well, put a muzzle on the dog, right? Don't put the dog in situations where the dog is going to get bit. And I understand that's not necessarily the solution or that's not going to make your life necessarily easier, mm -hmm. but it will make sure that thing doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. How do I get my dog to stop eat? We did a whole fucking segment on this. How do I get my dog to stop eating socks so I get fucking surgeries and stuff? Put the fucking socks away, right? Mm -hmm. Let's start with that, right? Let's make sure the dog can't access those things first, yep. which is the management side of things. From there, you could look at which method is going to take less time or is going to be more aligned with the way that you want to solve the problem mm -hmm. to actually work through the issue. Yeah. Multiple times in your video, but what do you do when positive reinforcement isn't working? You're right. One of the reasons of using physical punishments in dog training is immediate compliance. I don't deny that. You can get a dog to stop anything like that. We're not saying it automatically means that it's a cruel way to train. What we are saying is that it is an unnecessary way to train. Very succinctly, where you use punishment, we default to management conditioning practices and teaching. But I know a lot of people when they hear jargon like that, they're like, ah, oh, confusing. What I tell people is think about how you would teach a two to three year old child to not walk into oncoming traffic. Is there any reality where you would let go of their hand? Is there any reality where you would use an aversive method to teach them not to go into the street? And if the yeah. evidence on this were to suggest that all methods are equal, you can get there either way without welfare concerns, then I, I really wouldn't have a case here. But that isn't what the evidence says. The evidence suggests that when we use aversion with dogs, that there are welfare concerns that can lead to other issues that people may not even realize were related to it months, days, years down the line. And this is Robert, unfortunately, what is exposing your lack of knowledge on the topic. You say positive reinforcement isn't working, straight to punishment. No, when what you're doing isn't working, we break the problem down into easier, more manageable goals. For example, teaching a dog to stay at the front door. You'll know I have plenty of videos on that that do not involve force, that get dogs staying at a front door wide open while I throw toys and treats out of the door in lesson number one. So this idea that it takes a long time to teach a dog how to pay attention with modern methods is factually, demonstrably untrue. Does it take a few minutes longer than just punishing the behavior? Sure, but when you use more modern methods, there are no welfare concerns that I am aware of that come close to competing with the welfare concerns of using aversions. That's what the evidence suggests. People are free to disagree all they want.
So the way that I have and continue to teach not only my own dogs, but other people who struggle with this issue is to make sure that they are taking full responsibility for their dog, making sure they are not putting their dog in a position to get hit by a car. Because even an e-collar can fail. The batteries can die. It could malfunction. Your dog could blow it off. That's no guarantee. I agree with the guy. You know what I mean? Like, Like, this is the problem, right? Is the conversation you fell into, you can't really debate that much back and forth. Really, the argument here that needs to be had is just efficiency of the methods. Not will they work or will they not work. It's which one is more efficient for your individual situation. And can we weigh out these potential welfare concerns that you're discussing and really figure out how concerning are they? Which yeah. I know they are nowhere near as concerning as they expect them to be for 99.9% of situations, right? Um, and I know that our methods are generally going to accomplish the goals faster and the welfare concerns won't be that big of an issue. But to his point about your e-collar could fail. I completely agree. My dogs are all e-collar trained, but I live on a pretty busy road and we just made a post about off-leash training the other day and I don't walk my dogs off-leash down the street even with their e-collars because it could fail. The dog could decide to blow me off still and yep. before I have the opportunity to give that correction be too close to a car. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like the, yeah, the, it, <laughs> crap arguments, yeah. you know? Yeah, he, uh, he walked right into Zach's dog is off leash with access to a car if there is a one percent chance of failure of that that's an irresponsible position to put your dog in that's what i would say and it's interesting how people want to really cling to the idea that shot collars can be used non-aversively <laughs> yeah, you can make literally. a case they can be used less aversively in some cases but what a primitive way to communicate with a dog the scientific community doesn't say you can't use aversive methods you can you can use them you can even use them with some effectiveness the scientific community is just simply saying they're unnecessary to use i suppose the spirit of your statement in question regarding this is simply to suggest hey some things are just too important there you need to use pain i'll remind you in no other area of animal training do they feel it's necessary to use a shot collar on an animal or choke chain or a prong collar or anything like that now i will say i do think there are some situations that are just too important that we do need to use aversives or pain to stop i've used the example of, of jumping right jumping I think we need to just stop with dogs. There's too many situations where somebody can get hurt with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the chasing, I do think, again, is very important to use an aversive. I completely agree with Zach's points on it isn't your guarantee by any means, but if I could reduce the likelihood my dog is going to try to chase after things that could potentially kill them, I think it's extremely important to stop. Ingesting foreign objects. Yes, it's my responsibility, and I'm going to take full responsibility of my dog to make sure I'm not putting them in a position for those things to happen, but I do think in addition to that putting a teeny bit of responsibility on the dog of you're not allowed to eat these things whether they're present or not will help me achieve my goals faster, mm. right? So. Don't put them on grizzly bears. They don't put them on gorillas. They don't put them on orcas. And Back the harshest that, criticism I have of your video yeah. is that you say, yes, yes, I am comfortable going against organizations like American <laughs> Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior and the dozens of other international organizations I listed because my experience tells me I know better. So that kind of thinking that I think is unbecoming of a professional in this industry. This is not cherry picking. If you can find me a scientific organization that supports your hypothesis, I will reconsider my position. This is my beef with peers in my industry, and this is not personal. This is just aimed at making our industry more professional. Train your own dog how you will.
When you're advising the public against organizations like the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists and the other two dozen international organizations that I've listed, I'll spare you on this right now. People can go back and look at that. That's a problem. That is a professional problem. Robert, that's not to say you can't have your own opinion. But again, the line is crossed when you're telling the public that you know better than these other guys. I understand what he's saying here. My rebuttal to that would be, I don't care how anybody trains their dog. I'm not saying you got to do it this way, you got to do it that way. But when clients come to me, they're coming to me because they want to achieve what I have achieved with my dogs, Mm -hmm. right? So I am comfortable training them on what I did to achieve what I've achieved with my dogs because that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. This is my point. This is what is representative in the dog training community. They know better than the science. Just trust them. Their experience trumps all. And you say you're not going to base your training on a study. This is not based on a study, my friend. This is decades of research across the animal kingdom that has enabled these scientific bodies to form their position statements on this matter. You reference that science is always changing. Ironic you should say this because, you know, as of three, four, five years ago, much of the scientific community was still holding on to the old standard that aversives are sometimes necessary in training. They've updated that position. One thing I'm not seeing a lot of people criticizing these studies doing is acknowledging the greater body of knowledge in learning theory and animal behavior. Is there any evidence in learning theory to suggest uh, that using rewards-based training and management have long-term welfare concerns? There's plenty in punishment with all animals, not just dogs. If it were true that dogs learn through different learning laws, okay, you'd have a point. But it is well accepted, so far anyway, that all animals learn and are governed through the same learning principles. Anyone object with that? People keep telling me there's not a consensus, and then I say, give me one animal behavior organization around the world that say, says that aversives are required for training. This is exactly the same conversation that countries around the world have had about corporal punishment in kids. This has been well studied, and we know that immediate compliance comes with corporal punishment in children. But we also know that at least 10 other side effects are clearly correlated with corporal punishment. I have a lot to say on people accusing me of having an ideology on this. I do want to talk about that in more depth later. There's a lot of talk about many in our community around unity. I think that is exactly what I'm calling for, is we need to unify around evidence-based practices that don't carry with them welfare concerns or undermine the emotional state of a dog during the training process. The honest answer would be that yes, the scientific evidence shows that aversives are unnecessary, but we want to use aversives anyway. And that is kind of the question I think that really starts to expose the underlying problem with our mentality on this. Going to respond to Robert. So that's the last one. So then Robert basically went on and he didn't make another video because I think he kind of realized there wasn't much to say back to that. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of made a post of like, I'm going to continue training dogs humanely in the way that I know works and blah, blah. It wasn't even like a video to him. It was just kind of just like, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of like like popping himself back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So listen, no disrespect, Robert. I just think you fell into that trap. Oh, yeah. So that's where we're at. And it's it's pretty much fizzled out since. I think a lot of people are still talking about it. And again, a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh, you're just feeding into Zach's platform and this and that. And like, sure, like I, I'm sure I am. I'm sure I'm, I'm continuously bringing more attention to his name, obviously. 
But I think this is an important conversation to have. This is not yeah. me against you. This is about understanding perspectives, right? And mm-hmm. I'm I'm very okay with continuing to have this conversation and, and, and break things down. As you can see, like I I don't really disagree with a lot of what Zach is saying in this. I just think there's a deeper, further, more nuanced conversation that needs to be had. That's it. Yeah, hundred percent. So that's where we're at. What do you think? Poor, poor Robert. That's all. <laughs> like he just fed every little like piece. Like that you're talking about cheese. He ate every little piece of cheese. He ate that, all the cheese. Yeah, right into that little mouse trap. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because I mean, he opened himself for free reign on that second Zach George video, and Zach knew exactly. And you said before we even watched it, he's going to counter it this way and this way, and he did that. Yeah, as soon as before Zach even made that video, I watched it and I, I countered it in my head. And it's funny that most of the things that Zach said were the same things that I said. Yeah, and and again to that point. It's not even that I'm like, oh, I'm Team Zach or anything like that, right? I think it's important to understand your opponent's arguments with things, right? To understand them and understand their perspective, right? Because that makes you either question your beliefs a little bit and figure out the holes in them or solidify your stances in the things that you actually think. Yeah. So that's why you should have the conversation, Zach. Yes. (laughs) That's why you should talk. (laughs) Yeah. That's why you should come on to somebody's podcast and... Just talk it out. Like, nobody's, I mean, I'm sure there are some people that are gunning for him, but it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, us, we're definitely not. We just want to have the, like you said, the conversation. Just looking to chat, man. It's all love. Yeah. It's all love, dog. It's all love. <laughs> so, hope yep. you guys enjoy that one. Yep. We'll be back to regularly scheduled dog chat. A lot of stuff going on at the facility and, and dogs we've been working with and stuff we haven't been able to get into in the last month or so because of all the things we've been getting into. Um, yep. For everybody that has been seeing on Spotify and on YouTube, on Spotify under the David the Dog Trainer podcast, I've been uploading bonus episodes, which are our new Miracle Canine Staff podcast. We were doing every two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. We have switched to officially doing that weekly now. So that's going to be coming out weekly on YouTube as well as currently on my Spotify channel. I will probably make its own Spotify channel soon for that. Um, that is a podcast where the staff trainers, it's different ones every time, sometimes two of them, sometimes three of them, sometimes all four of them, get to talk about miscellaneous dog-related topic so you'll get to hear their perspective on things hear kind of their voice on stuff and um you know obviously they'll be taking questions and all that kind of stuff as well so if you hit us up on the youtube they'll be able to to answer any of those types of things miracle content is rolling it's popping out so much (laughs) really are so cool that's it until next time all right see you guys